the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Tuesday evening reflecting into church history and the great ancient Christian thinkers of church history. Over the past few weeks, we have been busy looking at those figures who have had a huge impact uh, in early church history. Uh, Three weeks we took to go through the Apostolic Fathers, the likes of St. Clement of Rome, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and St. Polycarp of Smyrna, men who are considered Apostolic Fathers because of their immediate closeness to the Apostles themselves. It was just a few weeks ago where we made the point of St. Polycarp, the most connected man in the ancient church, someone who will be relevant to our study today because we will be studying St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Uh, St. Polycarp was his teacher. I mean, St. Polycarp was a pupil of St. John the Evangelist. He was a contemporary of St. Ignatius of Antioch. And of course, his prized pupil was one St. Irenaeus of Lyon, uh, France, uh, who we will be talking about tonight. So we have a lot to discuss, and I will do so with uh, John O'Hare, parishioner of St. John the Baptist Catholic Church and a retired teacher. John, great to have you another week. Thank you, Joe. And uh, for the first time, we are going to bring in George and John at the same time. So I have George Wing, another retired teacher and parishioner from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. George, great to have you with me tonight as well. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here with John. Yeah, so uh, two retired teachers. This is going to be a lot of fun. St. Irenaeus of Lyon, what can we say of this great man? You know, uh, our emeritus, a pope, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, had some important words to say about the importance of this man. Really, uh, the first true theologian. I mean, that's a big statement uh, t- to make. I mean, St. Uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, uh, many consider him to be an apologist, uh, but he is certainly also the father of theology. Uh, why? Because in his refutation of the heresy that we're going to be talking about tonight, Gnosticism, he just doesn't respond to the heresy in that question-answer, question-answer, point-counterpoint mode. He goes deeper. He considers the depth of God, just not philosophically, but also theologically. And in so doing, he goes into the depths of sacred scripture. He teaches us a great deal about biblical theology. And and this is a man, you guys, who, what, he was born in 135, roughly A.D., so uh, early to mid-2nd century. I mean, we are still in early, early church history. I think Irenaeus points out that the story of his life, we should never, as Christians, be afraid to confront controversy Mm. because God will bring a mighty work out of our investigation, as was the case with Irenaeus, uh, coming to combat Gnosticism, here we have the church's first thorough systematic theologian. Mm-hmm. I have him 15 years older than you do, but uh, yeah, there, what books we read, I had yeah, him born around <laughs> There's a variation yeah. of age yeah. with him. Yeah. There also is uh, some discussions whether he was martyred or not. His predecessor was martyred, 
And uh, Eusebius never mentions him being martyred, mm-hmm. but a St. Gregory later on says, he, about 600 AD says he was. Anyway, um, Irenaeus was a theologian because he faced a different problem than our saint of last week, St. Justin Martyr. St. Justin Martyr was trying to convert people mm-hmm. to Christianity. And by the time St. Irenaeus comes along, Christians were drifting off into Gnosticism. Therefore, he goes into theology. He felt really philosophy was too open-ended. Theology, mm-hmm. meaning study of scripture and proving uh, the truths of the Catholic Church from that point of view, would, was going to be the way to go. Therefore, uh, that's how he tried to combat mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Gnosticism. He felt, and as your listeners know, gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. And the uh, Gnosticism he, he combated was Marcionism. And I think to understand Gnosticism, you have to take a look at dualism, uh, mm. good versus bad. The Marcionists believed that the Old Testament was bad. The God there created matter. The God there had a bunch of evil and war going on, and this was bad. Jesus was somehow a son of light. He was not divine, but he was certainly a good person. He did not rise from the dead, but he did good things. And if we could somehow attach ourselves to Christ and other things through our thinking and our studying, we could become a spiritual elite and really get into a, a breakthrough close to God. And this attracted quite a few people. It's, no, it's elitist, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite common in our culture today. But he wrote theology. He depended heavily on the Old Testament, and he also depended upon the New Testament. The New Testament did not exist at this time, but he was aware of the Gospels and uh, uh, the writings of Paul and uh, uh, Mark's Acts, and things were read at the liturgy. So I think those are what he used a lot to convey his theology. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing that is important to note when you talk about his response to dualism as he gets into the Old Testament and the New Testament, certainly he gets into philosophical principles. He does speak to the importance of reason, but reason in light of faith. You know, you talked about it, you know, what is uh, Gnosticism and its root means knowledge. Knowledge gained by this kind of private revelation, this intellectual experience. And so, there was this mindset that, well, there's no room for public revelation, which of course is what Christ came to reveal. And this is why it it became heresy. But there's an important uh, point to note here, John. You know, figures like Valentinus uh, and other great teachers in the early Christian church uh, were very subtle in the way they were talking about this Gnosticism. And it was convincing a lot of people I mean, there are a lot of well-respected Christians who are buying into this. And this is the thing about heresy in and through the ages, that it's not always so obvious. And so we need men like Irenaeus and others to step forward and to really offer us a deeper insight into this public revelation. And something you said earlier, George, was so important in regards to heresy and it being kind of a springboard into uh, a deeper understanding of theology, you see that throughout history. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating truth in how God uses um, our waywardness, our sinfulness, to bring about a greater good. You know, what does Romans 5.20 say? Where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. Throughout church history, you see one spiritual decline after another. And on the other side of that, what do you see? One saint after another. So, yeah, 
thanks be to God for figures like Valentinus and others. No, I wouldn't dare say that, but, but, but this is why uh, we have figures like St. Irenaeus. Uh, one of the problems that the church faced was you know, certainly the, the uh, emperors were martyring people, but the re- a more serious enemy, if you want to call it that, was inside the church. People mm-hmm. going over to this new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And that has been a problem all along. Mm-hmm. More so. And you know, as we talk about this, it's important to be attentive to that interpersonal dynamic that is going on within the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that you bring that up, John, because ultimately, this is what it's about. I mean, the church is organic. The, the, the church is in the detail. So this is why a figure like Irenaeus, the Bishop of Lyon, France, goes to refute this, this uh, Gnostic heresy. Yeah, I think we have to be careful in the church not to buy into all the latest fads, mm-hmm. okay, be it multiculturalism or feminism or some more radical aspects of the homosexual rights movement, you know, gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, these things need to be looked at very, very carefully. Uh, even things like technology, uh, that can't, can't allow that to escape us. Do we really want to give children texting capability on their cell phones? All right. Now, the point is, every time something new comes along, we need to really seriously look at that. That's right. And not buy into the novelty, because it's flat-out dangerous. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, from St. John Paul II to our current Emeritus Pope to Pope Francis, they have all made the point that the fullness of man is not what we achieve in our advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. but ultimately to the capacity that we love. I mean, the full vision of man as it is given to us by public revelation, Jesus Christ. Again, we are back into Irenaeus. If we want to understand this for what it is, we have to go back to the dignity of the human person, yes. body and soul, as it is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, that we are created in, in his image and likeness to the degree that we understand Jesus Christ is, is to the degree that we will better understand what it means to become the best version of ourselves. And it doesn't come exclusively by this intellectual experience that the Gnostic uh, was caught up in. He was a big fan of tradere, the Latin verb to, to pass on, and he liked the Old Testament. He felt that Christ was there in the Old Testament, typology if you want to use that word, and he, you could see this in the New Testament. Therefore, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which wasn't exactly called that in his time, were similar. We could, you could see this passing on, and if you stick close to that, you would be good. He was also a big believer in apostolic authority and uh, apostolic succession, and uh, um, he also was a firm believer in Eucharistic, the centrality of the Eucharist. Yeah. And you keep these things precious and central and you will be, you know, on the truth towards God. That's right. Those, those three principles that you just mentioned are all uh, intertwined, because really when you look at Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the prophetic thrust in the, in the Old Testament, and ultimately that which unites uh, the Old and New Testament, that is Jesus Christ, uh, this is what was being handed on. You know, you talk about tradition, tradere, and apostolic succession. The word succession in its root comes from the same word as tradition, tradere. It's all about what is being handed on. It's all about uh, the continuity. The word typology in the Greek, typus, it means pattern, pattern of continuity, right? And of course, how was that done? Well, it was done in the Eucharist. St. Irenaeus uses the word, the missa, the mass, right? The, the word mass in Latin 
is, is missa, and it means to be sent forth, but you were sent forth out from that personal encounter yeah. with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And it was in that celebration that the church was handing on the faith, right? So you see this interconnectedness. And certainly St. Irenaeus made a point to show in his just his work, just not against the heresies, which is his main work, but also his uh, proof of uh, apostles' teaching, which was his second major work. He really went into that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the strength of that tradition, the tradere, is seen so strongly here in the Mass today, in that you have the Old Testament and New Testament proclaimed, and, of course, the Eucharist um, is central to our worship. Uh, the two commands, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, to love our neighbor as ourself, receiving Christ in the Eucharist to strengthen us for both of those tasks, and then uh, the Misa, in other words, go forth. Mm-hmm. The Mass described by good old St. Ignatius of Antioch was quite similar to the Mass we have today. I was quite impressed with St. Ignatius' description of liturgy. Yeah, yeah, he and St. Justin, I mean, uh, yes. yeah, I mean, a, a profound connection all these years later, a profound uh, connection. I wanted guys to get into a little bit of uh, what was being lost or what was on the other side of some of this Gnostic thought. Uh, once you emphasize one thing, you're de-emphasizing another. And uh, so certainly for the Gnostic, there was this absence of the reality of sin, right? Because man's failure was not due to his shortcomings by way of sin. It was his ignorance, right? Because of their emphasis on knowledge and their emphasis on the intellect. So there was a removal of the reality of sin. It could play both ways, though. Uh, Gnostics uh, might be more uh, libertine in their sexual mores, but they could also be very puritanical. Mm-hmm. There was more than one uh, line of Gnostic thinking. But once again, that speaks to extremes, which is something as Catholics we attempt to avoid. Yeah, George, there's many permutations out from that, for George sure. George made an important point. There were numerous types of Gnosticism. Yeah. That's what happened when you lose the tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, so why does St. Irenaeus engage on who is Jesus Christ? You know, let us just start with the most fundamental truth about Jesus Christ. Well, what does his word mean? You know, Jesus, you know, Yeshua in the, in the Hebrew, God saves. God saves us from what? Well, Matthew makes it clear, and, and this is where St. Irenaeus goes to. He says, God saves us from our sin. You name your child Jesus because he's going to save us from our sin. And so, yeah, for the Gnostic, there has to be a denial on some level of sin, Uh, Because ultimately you're denying the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then, as you've already noted, John, the denial collectively of the larger deposit of faith, the, the denial of the organic synthesis of faith. I mean, our Lord came to set up a teaching program, one that was rooted in how he himself was the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ultimately how he is a revelation into the many doctrines that we know today, from the Trinity to creation. You know, get into sacred scripture, he, he would say, and ultimately hand these, these things on. But sacred scripture, the Gospels, again, we didn't speak of the New Testament as we understand it today, uh, but more specifically to uh, the Gospels were public revelation. You know, and, and the, the, the uh, Gnostic denied public revelation for what it was because of their emphasis on 
this private revelation through their mystical intellectual experience. It's strange how pride rebels against the notion that God could become flesh. Mm. And you see that with the Gnostics, with this denial of Christ's divinity and this view that this is, uh, you know, matter is bad. And, but also, is it the Donatists who believe that, well, this was only an apparition that the mm-hmm. apostles were looking at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, you, you, yeah, it, um, it, there's an appeal to pride on both ends. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you talk about pride, you know, <laughs> in the Gnostic ideal, what's in lockstep with pride, but disobedience. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. if, if we're going to go to the Garden of Eden, uh, then we have to talk about not only pride, but disobedience. And also this temptation to hidden knowledge. Yes, yes. I mean, we really are in the Garden of Eden with the Gnostic, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, good point, George. That's why they, uh, that's why Adam and Eve was it was a sin of pride is what is what they committed. Yep. Mm-hmm. And as I was going over Gnosticism, it reminds me of, you know, we human beings haven't advanced an awful lot since two hundred. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, all, no, no, we're we still haven't. off into our intellectual elitism, which leads us to whatever God pleases us. Yeah, yeah. Today's relativism, again, Benedict the Sixteenth in his first homily after he was installed as, as Pope, the Supreme Pontiff, he talked about this dictatorship of moral relativism, which, mm-hmm. uh, to, to simplify, really is today's version of Gnosticism, yes. mm-hmm. which is really an ideology that sets itself up as autonomous from public revelation, autonomous from truth itself, autonomous from any kind of adherence or obedience to the faith. And that, it really goes back to what George was saying earlier, to the pride, that really is what is at the heart of the, the Gnostic ideal, certainly the intellect, but also in that, the absence of adherence to the faith. I mean, St. Irenaeus spends a great deal of time talking about how uh, Mary is the new Eve. We have this great phrase, the new Eve. Mary is the new Eve because she reverses the misfortune of Eve herself. So just as uh, Eve was the instrumental cause in the loss of grace, as St. Irenaeus would say, so Mary is the instrumental cause in the restoration of grace. Eve's no, Mary's yes. And he went there so that the Gnostic might see the importance of obedience, the obedience of faith. It's striking. If you were to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, there's a verse in there that I'm sure the Gnostic, if they had Paul's epistle to Rome, they would have grabbed a hold of and probably would have isolated it, and it would have been their mantra, right? Because he says, uh, that is Paul, to the church of Rome, the importance of renewing your mind, that you would increase in knowledge. Now, of course, for the Gnostic ideal, while they're all about knowledge and, uh, and the intellect, it was removed from faith. And of course, for Paul, it was all about the obedience of faith, that in the end, it is faith and reason, not uh, experience and reason. You know, it could be that we're dealing with a modern Gnosticism today, this denial of the goodness of matter in the contraception mentality, Mm. where, well, just because we have this technology now, we can forget about God we can pursue our fleshly interests, and we don't have to worry about the ne- the consequence of that. And we can deny what sex is for. You see this in the contraception mentality. Uh, this the the way uh, people who are so-called pro-choice speak of 
having children or being pregnant is a kind of disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, 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 there's, a, there's a kind of a weird modern twist to this. Mm-hmm. But I think in, we, need to, we can include Irenaeus in our prayers asking for his intercession yeah. as we confront modern heresy. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Marcion was a smart guy. And certainly St. Irenaeus was a smart guy, and Marcion and St. Irenaeus may have had the same SAT scores. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, the sure. deal is that St. Irenaeus stuck with tradition. He stuck with a Christ who rose from the dead, and Marcion and the Gnostics went off on their own. And I see that happening throughout history. Mm-hmm. And it, it isn't a question of your SAT scores. It's a question of uh, why well, it's a question of how seriously you really follow the true Christ. Yeah, go to the temptation narrative, and what do you see? Here you have Christ fasting for 40 days, and there's Satan just waiting, waiting to pounce. And just when he thinks he has him, in his, that is Satan, in his supreme intellect, he goes for the kill. Certainly Satan himself, he has supreme intelligence, but let's not confuse intelligence with wisdom. What did Satan not see? He didn't see the fact that he was going deeper into his relationship with his father. He didn't see essentially who he was as the son of God. So just when he thought Jesus was at his weakest and he pounced, he was at his strongest. I make this point because ultimately we can have all of the intelligence we want. We can have a supreme intellect, but you just said it. It's not about that as much as it is about what we do with it, and moreover, the gift of wisdom. Because Satan had a supreme intellect, but he did not have wisdom, because wisdom starts on bended knee. So if we can understand that, I think we are well on our way to how we can apply, uh, you guys, what this Gnostic heresy is all about and what it means for us today. You know, Satan uh, was a talented angel, but he could have been a much better angel had he remained yeah. close to what he was made for. But he didn't apparently know what he was made for. I don't really know. But. Yeah, the, the, the head of the choir of angels. I mean, the head of the choir of angels. I think, yeah, in the end, St. Irenaeus, what did he do? He showed that the Gnostic did not have a superior way. Because for everything that we have talked about as it relates to what was in his response and his against the heresies and his proofs of, of, of the apostles' teaching, he showed that the rule of faith was a common rule of faith. And that rule of faith was public. And so again, very important. You can see Irenaeus' humility in his adherence to the tradition. Yes. And he understood clearly his responsibility to hand on what had been taught to him, because as a boy, we know he was at the feet of Polycarp. His role as a guardian, uh, not only to hand it on, but also to clarify uh, all those points where the the Catholic faith was at odds with Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is kind of fascinating here, you look at the Gnostics, and they had what some of the groups had their own hierarchy, and they would certainly have their own like charismatic teacher. But what a setup for a cult that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, here in the Catholic yep. Church, it's all in the catechism. There's nothing secret that the yeah. bishops are promoting when you become a priest you aren't like let in on any kind of secret knowledge yeah yeah um but in gnosticism as you're moving up in the hierarchy you get let in on these great secrets yeah 
So it's a really a setup for cults, for a cult-type leadership, the idea that you have this charismatic leader and they have this esoteric knowledge and you grow in not only knowledge but also in prestige and status as you move up through this false system. Yeah, this idea of increasing in, in the aesthetic sensibilities you know, as you move up. And Irenaeus was a reliable witness because mm-hmm. the, the agnostic writing did not come down to us. It was lost. All we knew is what he said about it. However, in 1946, it was found yes. in some archaeological dig, and it was exactly what he said. You know, he, he reported it uh, reliably. That's right. Yeah. And how important is that? You know, time and time again throughout history, we see uh, God reaffirm the, the, the testimony and the witness of, of these great men and women who have, who have given their lives to the faith. You know, just one last piece by way of um, postscript in our last minute. You know, St. Irenaeus had a very important line that I think is important for us today. And he says, where the church is, so is the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, so is the church and all the grace you need. He, he talked about the church being a pneumatic event in and through time. And this is really important for us today, you guys, because in 2014, the church has really set all of us on a path that she calls the new evangelization. And really what that is, is a renewal in faith to allow Christ to re-evangelize our hearts each and every day and to then go out and do what St. Irenaeus did, to respond to those questions to evangelize hearts, and to essentially draw them deeper into the mystery of faith, to the common rule of faith. Benedict XVI made the point, St. Irenaeus has a lesson for us today that we need to call upon the Holy Spirit to be our protagonist, to be the one who's leading the charge in, in everything that we do, and that if we do that, then we will be witnesses to uh, the new evangelization. You know, St. Irenaeus is one of the great teachers, and I do think as we move through the early church fathers, we will be referencing St. Irenaeus quite a bit, even as we've referenced here in this program the likes of a St. Justin or St. Ignatius or St. Polycarp. These all are men who have been great witnesses uh, to their early Christian faith. And I would say to all of our listeners out there, Catholic and non-Catholic, I mean, this is our history. And it would be well worth our while to take up this history. Because if there is one thing that we have learned in our treatment of history in the past 15, 16 weeks, is that of the great teaching of Mark Twain, that while history never repeats itself, it certainly has a rhyme scheme. He was not only a great teacher, but also a great pastor. He insisted that his priests speak in the local language. They were in Gaul. But here's this man of vast education, but he wanted to speak to the people. That's such an important point, George, because while we talk about these men as these great ancient Christian thinkers, these great defenders of the faith and doctors of the church, what was closest to their hearts and really what made them saints was their heart for the people, their ability to communicate the faith to the people in their native tongue, as, as you put it. And again, this is really what's at the heart of the new evangelization, bringing the gospel message to the heart of the culture, to the heart of the people in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can understand. So we have a great model, certainly, 
and St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.